0: Who's your mama? It's not normally how that question goes. But it's fitting for this passage today. Verses that, uh, honestly, I've been dreading for a while. And for a while this week, for a long while, they really gave me fits. I could not see the forest for... The trees, scrutinizing the leaves on the individual trees that these verses are, and missing the forest. So it's important to remember, anytime we approach the Scriptures, and especially when we approach 11 selected verses, as we do this morning, that we don't, these verses of Scripture are not in isolation. They are not little islands, detached from the rest of the land of of Scripture. We understand these few verses in Galatians first in how they relate to the verses immediately around them, and then next, how they relate to the whole of the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians, and, and eventually, how they relate to the whole of the Bible. Because ultimately, we've only arrived at the right interpretation of these 11 verses the right understanding, if that understanding jives with the rest of Scripture. Um, one of my, my very favorite verses that I go to again and again uh, is Acts seventeen eleven, And it's an observation that, that Luke, the author of Acts, makes. He observes this about Paul's preaching to the Jews. And he says this in, in verse 11, uh, Now, these Jews... Speaking of the Jews in Berea, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Right, And I think NIV translates it, which is how I memorized it. Uh, Examining the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. They search the scriptures. Does it jive with scriptures? And and through the process, you'll see in verse 12 and following, some of these Jews actually came to believe the gospel as a result of that examining the scriptures process. So, um, it's a a caution and an instruction that I often give to those that I'm teaching, right? Examine the scriptures, right? See if what I've said bears up. Check, Check it for yourself. Uh, We're going to look at these last 11 verses of chapter 4, and uh, then we're going to talk a bit about the forest in order to make sense of these trees, Uh, and all along, examining the scriptures to see if what I've said is true. Um, So stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen? To the law. I think the law there can be, can be taken uh, it, as the sum total uh, of, of the scriptures, uh, of the Old Testament revelation from God, uh, his instruction, his, his accounts. For it is written, verse 22, that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you that you provide help for the helpless. Wisdom for the foolish. Strength for those who are weak. Uh, Because this morning, Father, that is me and that is us. We need help to make sense of this, your word. Uh, We thank you that the same spirit who inspired these words and, and carried along the writers as they penned these words, that same spirit is available to us this morning. He will surely help us. We expect that help. We need that help. We ask for it in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Please have a seat. So now you see why I was dreading these verses. What do we do with all of this? Paul's taking us back to the middle of Genesis, then he's quoting from Isaiah, and then we're back in Genesis again. And at at first glance this all seems really deep and complicated and difficult to understand. But I think that if we do a little bit of forest work the trees will begin to come into focus, right? Even just remembering the immediate context of these verses in Galatians will be helpful. So last week the verses that we covered, right? Paul's continuing in his appeal to the Galatians, these new Christians in these churches that he planted, with whom obviously he had a close intimate relationship and friendship. A close relationship that Paul is now grieved about. He can't stand to see the ones that he loves in such great danger about to throw their faith away by nullifying the work of Christ. Believing that they're not really Christians, that God's not really pleased with them until they add their performance and their obedience to the mix. And so last week we saw at the the end of last week's passage, chapter 4, verse 19, he said, I'm so torn up over this, I'm like a mom in labor waiting to give birth, waiting to see Christ formed in you. And so we talked some last week about conformity to Christ, about growing in Christ-likeness. Now, we can't rehash all that again this week. So I would encourage you, if you weren't here, listen to the podcast. All right? It's important. All right? You'll find in that message why there were some paranoid folks around here this week. Right? There were folks around here this week saying, Who is he talking about? Was he talking about me? Surely he wasn't talking about me. Who was he making mention of? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the podcast. So this immediate context that we have, the stuff that immediately preceded these difficult verses today, means that these verses today are closely related to Christ being formed in the Galatians, and ultimately Christ being formed in us. All right. right off the bat, that's helpful because we see that Paul didn't just abruptly change topics. All right. It wasn't, all right, one minute I'm going to talk about conformity to Christ, and then the next minute, let's have this odd history lesson from Genesis. All right. No, they're related. How Christ was to be formed in, in the Galatians, how he is to be formed in us, has something to do with these two mamas and these two sons that he is referencing back in Genesis 16. All right, so that's the first little bit of forest work, right? These verses today are a continuation, not a departure from what Paul has already been talking about. So here's the next bit of forest work. Let's go ahead and get it out of the way. Verse 24. All right. This may be interpreted allegorically. Oh boy. So is Paul saying that this thing with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, this never really happened? Is that what he means by we can interpret this allegorically? No. That is not what Paul is saying. We're, we're given zero reason to think that Paul doesn't believe that this account of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar actually happened in history. What I think that Paul is saying here with allegorically is he's saying that this isn't just history. This isn't merely some event that happened in the past. It is that, but it's more than that. Right? It happened... For deeper, broader reasons. It happened because it helps us understand what God is up to. It can be applied to something other than just that individual moment in history. Okay? So, something about Sarah and Hagar can help us understand conformity to Christ. Are you with me so far? So let's look verse 22 then. Let's look at the trees a little more closely. Paul mentions Abraham again. This is not the first time in Galatians that we've seen Abraham mentioned. Because Abraham was a big deal for the Jews. He was a big deal for these agitators, these Judaizers, these Jews who have come in and have upset things for the Galatian Christians. And have said, you got to add your obedience to the law if you want to be okay with God. Um, Back in Galatians 3, we talked about the gospel paternity test, right? Who's your daddy was, in essence, that sermon. Because a great deal of emphasis is placed among the Jews of having Abraham as a father. Father Abraham. It's a big deal. And so the Judaizers were telling the Galatian Christians, if you really want to be a son of Abraham, then you better follow the law like he did which is a little anachronistic, right? It's a little bit of a timeline problem there because the law comes 400 years after Abraham, right? So that's problem number one. But anyway, Paul explicitly says back in chapter 3, verse 7, those of faith are the true sons of Abraham, right? So we've seen this before. Um, And now Paul is telling us, okay, well, technically Abraham did have two sons, right so i just wonder right i just wonder did paul just reach a point where he was beating his head up against the wall with these folks no we have abraham as our father abraham is our father you know did he just reach the breaking point one day and say fine he's your father but let me tell you who your mother is cuz there's more than one way to skin a cat okay and so paul is doing something different here Okay, fine, he's your daddy, but let me tell you who your mama is. And this would have incited the Jews to riot. Two moms, two sons. What's going on here? Uh, you can read about it on your own. I'd encourage you to do that in Genesis 16 and following. But here's the gist of it, okay? God had promised Abraham an heir. He actually promised Abraham a lot of things, right? A land, a people, a nation. Blessing, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. But he'd promised him an heir, a son. And when God promised that, everybody's response without exception was laughter. (laughs) That's absurd. (laughs) Because they were old. I mean, old, right? Uh, Seventy years of barrenness. Right, so even if Sarah, at one point, had been able to bear a son, that ship has long since sailed. Right, so first they laughed, they laughed, and then they waited, and of course nothing happened. Of course nothing happened. This is dumb, they said. That's my translation. This is dumb. We'll take matters into our own hands. See, God had promised to do it, but we know it's impossible even for God to do it. So we'll help him out a little. And so Sarah, of course, tells her husband, take my servant, Hagar. That's how you can have an heir. And while culturally common and culturally acceptable for the day, it was a very bad idea. And why does Paul bring this up? Why does he remind us of these events that transpired way back in Genesis 16? And why does he do so here, in the middle of this argument, in the middle of this appeal in Galatians? Why here? And why does he say, let's interpret this allegorically? And here's the reason. Because what Sarah and Abraham did is what the Galatians were doing in trying to add their obedience to what Christ had done. To the finished work of Christ. What Sarah and Abraham did is what the Galatians were doing is what some of us struggle with doing when we seek to add our obedience to the finished work of Christ. Look at verse 23. right? The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, right? By human effort. So God has promised, He has purposed, we looked at this last week, to conform His children to Christ. To conform them to the image of his son. Uh, we saw that last week. I took you to Romans eight twenty nine, the verse after the most popular verse, right? That we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's part of his purpose, it's his plan, his design. He's promised he's going to do it. And I could take you to a bunch of other verses in scripture like Philippians 1, 6, right? He who began the good work in you, he will complete it. Right? Uh, This great benediction at the end of 1 Thessalonians. Um, The one who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. There's all these promises throughout Scripture. The reason Paul brings up Sarah and Hagar here is that it represents two ways of living, it represents two ways of seeking to have Christ formed in you. One way is according to the flesh. Adding your obedience to the law as a means of pleasing God, as a means of trying to change yourself, of make yourself better, making yourself more like Christ. I mentioned last week, it bears repeating again this week, you don't obey your way to Christ-likeness. It's not how it works. You can't imitate your way to Christ-likeness, right? Now, I don't want you to hear me saying that obedience is not important because it is, right? Obeying God's law, not not the ceremonial laws of circumcision and diet restrictions and things like that, because Christ fulfilled all of those. All of those things pointed to Christ, and when he came, he fulfilled them. And so we no longer have to be circumcised. We no longer have to keep kosher. We no longer have to observe all these feast days and make trips to, to Jerusalem and things like that. Christ fulfilled those things. So that's not what we're talking about. But the revealed moral will of our Father. right? Obedience to that law is good and it is important because life works best when we follow his good design and plan. It just does. Right, So don't hear me saying that obedience is not important, but do hear me when I tell you that there is a huge difference between obeying the law and relying on the law. That difference is huge. Can you imagine taking one of the hymns that we sang and changing it to Obedience, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. It doesn't have the same ring to it. And that's the difference between obeying the law and relying on the law. It's foolish to look to the law to do something it was never intended to do. The law will not save you and the law will not change you. The law will not make you better. The law will not make you more like Christ. Uh, back in, in chapter 3, um, and, and Paul's just, you know, again, he just can't wrap his mind around the foolishness of the Galatians. Uh, chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He can't believe it because he knows it doesn't come through human effort. It comes through promise. It comes through divine effort can only be divine effort because God is the one who's promised to do it. In verses 24 and 25, Paul connects the dots a little bit further. All right, so we've got two mamas. We've got two covenants, he says. We've got um, two ways of seeking to be okay with God. All right, two ways of seeking to relate to him. And so here's the dots he's connecting. Hagar. Mama of slaves, Mount Sinai, Mosaic Law. And this is where these law loving Jews would have had strokes, apoplectic rage, eyes bulging. How dare you? Now, why would children from Mount Sinai be slaves? They would be slaves because seeking to make life work by relying on the law is the opposite of freedom. It will never let you go. You will never be able to do enough or to do it well enough. The law will always demand more than you can provide. It, it says in verse twenty-five that uh, that Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Right? Where is Mount Sinai? Picture a map. Right? Uh, it ain't in the Promised Land. Right? Thought about that? Mount Sinai is not in the Promised Land. It's outside. Right? Um, for more dots, Hagar is Mount Sinai is present day. Jerusalem so present day for Paul writing this letter that would have been those those agitators those Judaizers those that were seeking to to add obedience to the law that they themselves were slaves of the law and they wanted more people enslaved along with them because misery loves company but verse 26 we get the contrast all right so we've got had all those dots connected infuriates the Jews um And now here's the contrast, Jerusalem above. New Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, right? Populated by those who are placing their faith in the finished work of Christ. She's our mama, right? And and so Sarah never actually gets mentioned by name in these verses, but we know who Paul is talking about. And we know that after Sarah and Abraham royally screwed things up, by their own human plan, that God, sure enough, made good on his promise. Um, now is as good a place as any, since I just mentioned how badly they royally screwed things up, to look down at verse 29. Um, because verse 29 mentions how Ishmael, the, the child born to Hagar, was persecuting Isaac, the child born to Sarah. Now, if you go back in Genesis, the Genesis text only alludes to this kind of obliquely, doesn't spell it out in great detail, but we know that Paul was inspired to include it as he did. So we're, we're okay with that. And, and this is something that also applies more broadly, allegorically, if you will, right? Because when you have folks who are adding the requirement of the law, they're adding obedience as a requirement that must come alongside your faith, That must come alongside what Christ has already accomplished for us. When you've got those two groups, there is indeed discord and hostility and animosity and jealousy and suspicion. There is not fellowship. There can't be. It's like oil and water. If one group is saying, Here is Christ's work, it is beautiful and complete and all sufficient and it is trustworthy. And you've got another group who says, eh, it's a good start, but it's not enough. We can do better. We can perfect it. We can complete it. Right, then you've got nothing in common. You've got nothing in common, and at the end of the day, verse 30, really the only choice you're left with is just to say, be gone. Be gone. You who think Christ's work Is insufficient? Be gone. Away with you. Ultimately, a deep division exists between those who fully trust what Jesus has done, the children of promise, and those who place their trust in what they do, the children of the slave. Now, that's the royally screwed up part. Now we're back to God's fulfillment of his promise to Abraham and Sarah. So in verse 27, Paul quotes Isaiah. It's almost as if Paul is saying, hey, to make good sense of these verses, you've got to consider the whole of Scripture. So let me throw in this quote from Isaiah to help you out, to point you in the right direction. So he quotes Isaiah 54, one verbatim. And so this is Isaiah speaking to the exiles in Babylon. And what Isaiah is telling those exiles is just as absurd as what God told Abraham and Sarah. Sarah bearing a son in her old age is just as absurd as the notion of freedom and release to these folks who are in captivity. But they are told to rejoice as if they weren't in captivity rejoice because one day in the future you won't be in captivity any longer. It says sure is done. You might as well rejoice as if it were true now because it's as good as done in the future. And so this is the kind of thing Sarah would have been called to do in her waiting. In her waiting for Isaac to be born. she should have been rejoicing in God's sure-to-be-fulfilled promise instead of scheming and taking matters into her own hand. All right, so, so this little verse from Isaiah 54.1 that's quoted, it also has a context. Right? It has a context. It is also a tree amidst a forest, right? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Isaiah and go back to fifty one a few chapters before 54. And there's a very interesting parallel between what's going on in Galatians and what's going on here in Isaiah. If you look at Isaiah 51, the first three verses, but especially this first one, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. Right? Is this not the context of what we're talking about in Galatians? Right? Having Christ formed in you, he said, okay, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, and I, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness. Remember, this is to kept captives in exile in Babylon. Right? So, you who pursue righteousness. right? That's what the Galatians are doing. That's what we're doing. Right? We're seeking to be conformed to Christ. That's our desire. That's why we're here. At least it should be our desire. If we've been born again, if we've placed our faith in Christ, if we've been adopted as daughters and sons, then that's our desire. But how will we go about seeking to have that desire fulfilled? will that desire come about according to the flesh or according to promise? Will we be the source of our own righteousness? Will our obedience do the trick? Or will it come from outside of ourselves? Will it have a divine origin? All right, I'm about to get really technical here. We've seen Isaiah 54. We've seen Isaiah 51. In the middle is 53. Bet you didn't know that. Isaiah 53, which many of you know is this beautiful prophecy of what our Savior would do for us. The suffering servant who is the Lord Jesus And it talks about both his sacrificial death that he would die and the righteous life he would live. And the whole chapter is worthy of our attention, but I'm just going to give us two verses this morning. Isaiah 53, verses 10 and 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, The will of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. Out of the anguish of His soul He shall see and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and He shall bear their iniquities. The righteousness we've been seeking will come from above. It has a divine origin. It will be another's righteousness. This righteousness won't come from Mount Sinai. It won't come from our obedience to the law. It will be the righteousness of another that gets credited to our account. Sarah's promised child came through a divine, life-giving, life-changing, supernatural intervention. Right? God reached down and did for her what she could not do for herself. And so it is with us. So it is with our growth as Christians. With our being conformed to Christ. Right? The, the, the parallel here between God's promise given to Sarah about a child and his promise to conform us to Christ, this parallel runs deep. It is so deep, right? Uh, Let me give you a few ways that it's deep, right? Um, Waiting is hard. It took a lot longer than Sarah wanted it to. It's taking a lot longer for Christ to be formed in us than we would like for it to. Waiting is hard, right? It, the parallel is that it's it's the impossible, right? That's what we're waiting to happen is the impossible, right? At times, it seems absurdly unlikely that we will ever begin to look like Christ. Do you experience that that frustration and that? Oh God, Lord, are you ever going to make any progress in me? It seems absurd at times and the parallel is that yes we are tempted at times to take matters into our own hands and, and to begin to trust our obedience rather than relying the fulfillment of his promise and, and so at the end of the day we need to ask ourselves who our mama is who's who's your mama Uh, are Are we born and do we continue to live as children of the slave woman according to the flesh, according to human effort, or are we born and do we continue to live as children of the free woman by the promise of God? Let's pray.